0: Corners mean a little more in 2020 thanks to Primera Blue Cross and the Corners for Community program. Whenever your Seattle Sounders take a corner kick this regular season, Primera Blue Cross will donate $500 to Rave Foundation and its mission of empowering and strengthening local communities through the vehicle of soccer. To learn more about Corners for Community and to see how much Primera has donated to date, visit soundersfc.com slash corners for community. Primera Blue Cross, always in your corner. Listen to
1: this.
2: Zakawani, the flying winger.
0: Here's Brad Evans. And Steve. It's Steve. Who is it?
3: It's Brad Evans. <laughs> he
0: said it again.
2: Happy days
3: are here again. Turning with a drive. It's Steve Zakawani. Evans with the
2: left foot. He's an attacking threat, Brad Evans.
0: This is so weird.
2: The party has started. Hey, what's going on, everyone? We're coming to you from outside the bubble but we'll be talking all things in the bubble brad evans is still out there in the middle of nowhere so i've drafted <laughs> in i've drafted in um, a colleague and a friend no no stranger to the sounders community voice of the sounders um keith costigan will be with me today co-hosting and talking everything mls is back keith what's up man uh not so much uh excited to be here i still
1: don't quite understand what level of, of happiness being out in the wilderness brings to Brad Evans. I, I'll, I'll never quite get that, but I uh, was happy to step in for another Sounders legend.
2: <laughs> I love that. Um, Keith, let's get right to it. So last week on this podcast and also when I was speaking with you and Brad on the broadcast, I said that in the first two games, the biggest disappointment for me watching the Sounders against San Jose and the Chicago Fire was that we hadn't seen Nico Lodero. And that wasn't a critique of nico it was more so understanding he hasn't played for seven months and the kind of player he is he's the kind of guy who needs touches he needs rhythm and you can see him trying really really hard and i felt in the first couple of games at times he was coming way too deep and against vancouver he suddenly was finding positions higher up the field in and around the 18 yard box also inside the box I think scoring the penalty gave him tons of confidence. And then he had the assist to Jordan Morris. He looked at the old Nico Lodero. Against Chicago Fire, I think he had one touch inside the opposition 18-yard box. And against Vancouver, it was night and day. So, basically, my point is, I was absolutely right that Nico Lodero had to be higher up the field. And when we see him play in that way, just how much better does it make the Sounders?
1: It's, it's massive. Um, I've always felt like, you know, Jordan will get all the plaudits for, for how well he played against Vancouver and rightly so. But, but yeah. for me, Nico's the heartbeat of this team. Uh, when Nico's playing well, when Nico's tempo's high, the, the team are buzzing. But I, I do think the coaching staff have to take credit too, because I, I would mm. imagine they went back and looked and saw how deep we were. And, and that's Nico's game. If we're deep, he'll just come in and try to get on the ball and, yes. um, and, and keep it. But we were higher as a team against Vancouver. Uh, we we got forward quicker as a team against Vancouver, and that allowed Nico to not just get forward, but to have options further forward as well. So it, it was it was a welcome return to form. But again, understandable. I think you'd mentioned it a few times that this is a Nico Ladero that hadn't played in you know seven months. He was yeah. injured be- before, so it was going to take time. But yeah, I, I think we saw. Um, I, I still don't think he's at his best. I, I think we saw him returning somewhat towards his best. Now that we have a full week of training before that knockout game, I expect even more big things from him against LAFC.
2: Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, I mean, what what else stood out? I mean, obviously, you know, we'll, we can we'll shelve Jordan for now. We'll come back to Jordan Morris. Was there anything else in that performance that stood out, or were Vancouver just not very good? Uh, yeah, well, you have to give
1: Vancouver credit because they they bounced back and beat Chicago, right? So, I mean, they're, mm-hmm. they're not they're not that bad a team. So, I think I think we should say. I thought what the Sounders did well was they dropped in. Um, I, even though I said we played higher, we dropped in when we didn't have the ball. So there was there was less space in between the centre-backs and the central midfielders. So we looked more compact. But once we won it, we went forward with urgency, with pace. Um, so I thought tactically, it was obvious the coaching staff had you know, kind of seen something they weren't happy with defensively as well. So we improved defensively. We didn't give up many chances in that game. I don't remember Steph having to do really you know, anything of note in that game. So I, I think as well as being better going forward, we found a way to be a little bit more compact defensively, And that's something that had to happen given how, you know, how we gave away the goals against Chicago Fire.
2: Yeah. And I think one thing I was thinking of as well, and I have such a hard time with this because he's so versatile. Um, and, and I understand why Coach Schmitz and Gonzo and Jimmy, why they sit in coaches meeting and sometimes say, Okay, we've got to play Christian down on the right because you know he's going to do a job for you. You know that. But seeing him in that middle, I think it, I think he actually allows Nico to play higher as well. Because Christian, because Gustav doesn't have the legs anymore to cover um, the ground that Christian does. Christian can get up, make runs in behind, and you know he'll get back when he needs to. And when he's there, he's pretty decent at providing that cover in front of the back four. I think when you take Christian out of that role and you play maybe a Gustav and Jordi Delam, you lose that range. Um, in terms of covering ground. So I thought him moving back in that position was also good, which brings me to if Christian plays in the middle, that right-wing spot. We've seen Ibarra, we've seen OPL, we've seen what... Has anyone done enough to say, this is my spot?
1: You know what? No, not really. I mean, to be completely honest, I think Anduala did well when he came on. I I didn't think he played badly against Vancouver either. But Mm -hmm. I still still think when we look at... um, Joao Paulo coming into the, the, the middle of midfield. Do we yeah. see Nico playing off the right coming in, you know, coming in on his left foot? And uh, you know, that's going to be an interesting dynamic. I know people say, you know, Nico's a 10, but Nico roams so much. Sometimes I think he's better off in, in a wide position where he can come inside and, and create havoc. So I think eventually that's what we might see on that side with Joao Paulo Christian, as you mentioned, what he brings to midfield and, and Gustav as well. So um, I think that might be the right mix, but as of now, I think Miguel has shown little flashes. You know, for Hopi, our yeah, young player coming in, you know, difficult in this kind of environment for your first couple of games. And Handwal has done okay, um, but yeah, nobody's nobody stood out. Nobody's nobody's done enough to suggest to to Brian, I earn that next start, and I'm a guaranteed player for that next start.
2: Yeah, and people do forget. I mean, you think I think you make a great point there when Nico arrived and played the role of savior in 2016, he was playing on the right. Nico wasn't playing in the middle because you had uh, an average player in the middle called Clint Dempsey. Um, he was he okay. Had, he was uh, okay. <laughs> he was okay. And then when Clint left, then obviously Clint got had, had um, health issues. Nico was able to move more into the center. But Jordan Morris. So I, again, I get excited about wingers. Um, I get excited about Jordan because um, Jordan said, um, Again, I'm going to completely embellish this. And this is not what he said, but I'm going to exaggerate for the sake of the podcast. (laughs) Um, Jordan said one of the things that helped him was a conversation he and I had. And I do remember that conversation. It wasn't anything profound. But essentially what it was, was I watched him as a winger for many times. When he first came, he played on the right, played on the left. Then he went in the middle as a striker. He enjoyed that more. But he always looked like a striker that was being told to play on the wing. And now he looks like a winger. And it's such, it's such a subtle difference that I think has made a big, big improvement to his game to where I'm saying in the last 18 months or so, take Carlos Vela out of it, maybe a couple other guys. I don't know that anyone has been more dangerous. I'm not saying best, but dangerous way. You get him the ball, something's going to happen. I mean, there was a game he played away at Portland. I remember where he completely embarrasses Eric Valentin. Um, Earlier this season, he came up against Chicago Fire was amazing we're just talking as recently as um the last game against vancouver he was again incredible um what is it what are you seeing in his game that he's difficult? we know he was fast Keith. we know that we know that he can make runs in behind we knew that is it he's finishing is it now his ability to combine a bit more what has happened to this guy in the 18 months or is it the case of when he had the acl injury he actually got a chance to rest for the first time in five years
1: Uh, I I don't know if you know this, Steve. I also had a conversation with Jordan. Uh, (laughs) I said to him, listen, keep your head down, work hard. And since then, he's been amazing. So um, no, uh, I I think I've talked to you about this. I think, you know, you as a pacey player would know more. It bugs me when I hear people say you're a quick player play on that on that end play on the on the last defender try to get in behind all the time because sometimes it becomes ineffective because if the team doesn't get you the ball. So yeah. what I, what I think Jordan does well is he drops in, he links and then he attacks space uh, that he opens up himself. So I, I think he's done that really well. I, I agree 100% with what you said. he, he looked he, he looked like a fish out of water initially playing out wide. Now he looks like a player who understands the dynamics of that role. I can stay wide. I can go on my left foot and cross, or I can find the space in between the fullback and the centre-back and go to goal. So I I think his reading of the game, his understanding of where defenders are, and his ruthlessness, I, I mean... When he made that run the other day for the goal, once he got inside the fullback, there was nobody yeah. going to get, nobody going to knock him out of out of stride, and his finishing has improved as well. So you add up all of those things. I, I think it's exactly what you want to see from a player. He's not a young player anymore. He's in he's in his prime now, and yeah. and right now he's electric. But I will say this, Steve. You mentioned earlier when we talked to uh, Alexi, Christian Pulisic plays that role for the national team. You would imagine because he plays it for Chelsea and plays it so well. So it's going to be interesting in the national team who, you know, what way we, we, we add those two players in because I, I think they're both electric and they can both do really big damage on the national level as well for years to come.
2: Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you, Keith. So, we'll, yeah, you mentioned Alexi last day. We did speak to Alexi and we, he will be coming up right after this break. And then when we return after Alexi, we'll preview the Sounders against LAFC. Stay tuned.
0: Calling all Sounders fans! Do you know a community hero? Now more than ever, we want to recognize those that are going above and beyond to serve our region. Whether grocery store workers, healthcare professionals, janitors, restaurant staff, or friendly neighbors, our community is full of courageous individuals who deserve our thanks. Please nominate your community hero at SoundersFC.com/slash community heroes for a chance to have CHI Franciscan and Sounders FC honor them with a VIP experience.
2: And welcome back here to Winging It with Zach and Brad. Of course, no Brad Evans today, but I've got a guest co-host. who needs no introduction. Keith Costigan joining me. And we have a guest, special guest joining us. He's back. He's been on before a couple months ago. And now he's back to cover all things MLS is back and all things hot takes and all things Twitter. Um, The one, the only Alexi Lalas. Alexi, how you doing, man?
3: I'm good. Uh, greetings, gentlemen. Uh, we live in interesting times. We continue to live in interesting times. Pleasure, as always, to uh, speak with you and talk about what I think at this point has to uh, be considered a resounding success so far. Still, 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 ways to go, but a resounding success when it comes to uh, MLS back. MLS is back. This project that uh, was put on.
2: Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you, Alexi. And I want to start there. Um, I, I'd love to know who has surprised you in terms of unfilled performance and who has disappointed you are there any teams that st- stand out in either of those two categories
3: yeah this is the this is the difficult thing about this tournament and we've been going uh, you, know, you know racking our brains as we go on air uh, over at fox and i'm sure the espn folks and i'm sure everybody is talking about it, is how much credence do we put on the performance in this this brigadounish type of uh, bubble that that people are in and it, it does it matter, and how much should it matter? So, if, if you if you say it matters, then you have to look at incredible, disappointing uh, performances from the likes of Atlanta and uh, the LA Galaxy, and you have to be pleasantly surprised with someone like Orlando uh, or Montreal um, or or Cincinnati, for that matter, getting through out of uh, the group stage. And then you, but then you have to decide, okay. Is this something that's sustainable? When the bubble does burst and it will, and everybody goes back to their markets, is it sustainable? I, I don't have any of these answers. Um, but I, I think that's I think it's going to be kind of a hybrid in, in that some of the stuff that we see here will truly define what this team is, regardless of where it plays. And there is an element that they are just in this rarefied air right now in this bubble. Because I, you know, I don't think anybody is picking Cincinnati to do great things based on what they did in the bubble. I don't even think necessarily people are picking. Orlando, which has been around for a while, to do great things, simply what they did, uh, what they have done on the bubble. But, you know, this is this is the unique aspect of this in that I think we're going to get some things that we didn't expect. And in a tournament setting, that's that's kind of what you want.
1: Hey, Alexi, I have no idea what that word is you use to describe the bubble, but uh, I'll move on from that. Um, <laughs> no, you've been the GM for LA Galaxy. I want to get into this LA Galaxy, LAFC thing, because LAFC come in. They go after young players, not necessarily the biggest names either. They, they draw a fan base and they're successful. Is the myth that LA Galaxy have to go out and get a big name busted now? Or, or do you think they still have to be that team that have to get the big name first and worry about on the field product a little bit later? What, what, what way does that dynamic work for you?
3: Well, look, they, you know, LAFC still has someone like Carlos Vela, and that is a big name. That is a star. That is arguably the star and face of the league. Uh, so I do think that in a, in a town, you, you know, you live in Los Angeles and you know what is the expectation of these teams to do. Uh, and certainly the, the Galaxy has built itself on being a super club and doing big things and signing big players and big stars. So I, I don't think that you can completely abandon that philosophy you know however i think if you look at the way lafc has set themselves up and they have a very very good coach who is a great identifier of talent that is backed up by very very good people in the uh, in in the front office and you know what bob bradley has done and the ideology and you know we we talk so much Keith about identity and style of play and all that and a lot of it's a bunch of bs but when i see a team like lafc that has planted the flag and said, this is who we are. This is how we want to play. This is how we want to go about our business. And then they populate the team with players that are able to do that. That's an identity. And that's whether I agree with it or not is irrelevant. As long as they believe in it, that's what's important. And there, there are obviously a lot of people that gravitate to it, and it's been very, very successful. All of that is to say that the Los Angeles Galaxy is still a super club and I think has to live up to the signings that they make that that ultimately has to translate into the uh, the competitive side. And right now, they are not a competitive Major League Soccer team, regardless of who's on the field.
2: Yeah. Um. Alexi, very few people are as ingrained in the history of U.S. soccer as you are, or as involved. You've pretty much worn every role possible um, in this sport, in this country. We're now watching the emergence, and probably that's the wrong word, he has emerged already, of Christian Pulisic. And this week in particular, what he did to Liverpool at Anfield, it had everyone excited again. Um, can you put into context what he's doing? Because right away we get comparisons to London and to Clint Dempsey and a few others as well. Is it fair for us to be making those comparisons or is it much better to just sit back and enjoy him for what he is?
3: No, it's absolutely fair to be making those comparisons and the trajectory and people extrapolate it out. It's completely fair to say that if this continues on, he has the potential to be the best male American player ever to play the game. Uh, and that's that's not a crazy thing to say, given what he has already done. What I do bristle at a little bit right now is when people say that he is already the best American player ever to play the game. You know, you, you do have to have a longevity. You do have to, I think, have it, couple it and marry it with an international part of it. And I'm not saying you have to win the World Cup, but he hasn't even been to a World Cup or he hasn't even been a, been a part of a team yet that has even qualified uh, for a World Cup. So that That still is to come. But what he is what he is doing right now should be celebrated and we should be excited. Uh, You you know, you know, Steve, that we get we get gaga and crazy whenever we have a young talent. Now, he is much more than a young talent. And he has consistently proved that when he's healthy and that's a big when uh, and, and if he's healthy, he he is he's not just he's not just a great American star. He is a worldwide star that happens to be American. And that's, that's not an easy task to accomplish, especially at a young age and especially so, so quickly. So knock on wood, he stays healthy. If he does and he continues on and he does marry it with the international aspect that I do think is part of the assessment, he could without a doubt become the greatest American player ever to play the game uh, from a male perspective.
1: Alexi, he, he can't be the greatest American until he scored a, a headed winner against England uh, against all odds. So <laughs> uh, until he does that, he's uh, he's still second to you. No, but, but there's another player I know Steve knows well and, and has, has played with him too in, in Darlington Nagby, who has been, for me, excellent uh, for Columbus so far. He's been excellent wherever he plays, um, but it just, for whatever reason, hasn't seemed to work out with... Uh, with the national team, have the national team, has the setup let him down? Why are we not getting the best out of a, a player who I think we would all agree is is incredibly talented in his midfield?
3: Ronald? Yeah, I mean, the, the curious case of Darlington Nagby, who for my money is the best, the, you know, the most, for me, the most talented and most skilled American soccer player playing today and that he is not playing for the U.S. men's national team, it it pains me. But it's it's because that's he doesn't want to and okay, I have to respect that, and I have to understand that. Um, it doesn't mean that if you're uh, if you're Greg Berhalter, or if you're uh, Brian McBride, or if you're Ernie Stewart, that you aren't knocking on his door and selling why you think he should be a part of it. He's that important. Uh, and especially now, I don't think we have seen a player, uh, in, at least in my history in the game, that has been so adept and comfortable holding on to the ball under pressure. He is that proverbial safety valve uh and and release that that every team needs especially a team like the u.s that if they're going to play out of the back the way gripper Holter wants you're going to need somebody that's not going to panic when you have two and three players on you and is not going to lose the ball and it's it's uncanny some of the some of the stuff that he does and it, and it makes me feel so uh, you know happy and joyous when I see some of the stuff that he does and that we can't translate it to the men's national team, at least right now, it's sad. But like I said, I have to respect the fact that the man just for whatever personal reasons his family, or it's just too much or travel, or it doesn't really matter what the reasons are. If he doesn't want to be there, he doesn't want to be there. We're not going to beg you. I want, I want you to want to play for the U S team. If you are a, a player for the team, it doesn't mean also that we don't, go in and we we don't sell him on why it could be it could be important but he is such a, a force and and you know how, how impactful he is when frank Debore still talks about him even though he's not there frank he's just not he's just not into <laughs> you man he's just he's not that he's not into you all right stop talking about him like he's a girlfriend that dumped you and broke your heart <laughs>
2: um alexi last one for me here i want to talk about the sounders um i was thinking about some of the great MLS franchises. Maybe the word dynasty comes into it to an extent. We're looking at the Sounders, who in the last four years, I think, i have made um three MLS Cup finals, winning two of them um, most recently against Toronto last season. If the if the Sounders were to make a run here in MLS's back and to win this tournament as well, does that solidify them as a modern dynasty in the MLS era? Or is this tournament have too many variables for the winner to be crowned anything close to what would be like an open cup or an MLS cup as well?
3: Ah, great question. I love it. Um, so, you know, the other day we were talking about how to assess these teams and, and I went through my little spiel and I'll give it to you right now. So if you, if you were a bad team in regular season, and then you're a bad team in the bubble in in Orlando, you don't get the benefit of the doubt. Okay. If you were a bad team, in the regular season, uh, and then you're a bad team in the bubble, let's say, or then you're a good team, let's say in the bubble, like Orlando, for example, you also don't get the benefit of doubt because it could be this anomaly or just this aberration. If you're a good team in the regular season, and then you are a bad team in the bubble, you do get the benefit of the doubt. For, so for example, someone like Atlanta, they are still a good team because they have, they have proven it. And it might just be the bubble just wasn't for them. If you are a good team in the regular season and then you are a good team in the bubble, not only do you get the benefit of the doubt, but you are great because that is the mark of greatness. And right now, Seattle is is in the bubble. They are, they are doing well. I think that they will go far. Whether they win it or not, it, it doesn't, doesn't matter to me in terms of my assessment. This is a great team. You have the underrated and undervalued Brian Schmetzer, who is, you know, He's he's crazy like a fox. He's he's humble and unassuming and all that. But don't don't let don't let that don't let that fool you for a moment. All right. He is one of the most competitive out there. Uh, he is much smarter than people give him credit for. Um, and it's not just this uh, this. Chauncey Gardner type of situation where he's fallen into a, a a situation and just bumbling through. That's not the case at all. And I got a lot of respect uh, for what for what he has done and for that organization. You know, I, I often poke fun at the folks up there in Seattle and call you guys uh, insufferable and all that. But the reality is that you make this league better. You make this sport better with what you are doing on the field in terms of the continued uh, and constant competitive team that you are fielding and what you're doing off the field in terms of the support and the culture that you are a part of, uh, both both locally uh Seattle, but also that has permeated out and impacted uh and affected so many other supporters cultures out there. So that's my, there's my, my ode and my, my big kiss to my friends up there in Seattle for what they are doing on and off the field. And I love it. And I hope they keep doing it.
1: Uh, Alexi, last one for me. I have no idea where you get these ne- Who's Chauncey Gardner? There, there was some hockey player that you used to bring up when we did uh, Europa <laughs> League games together who I had no idea about either. But um, I, I have to ask you, when it's all said and done, we're down to the knockout stages. Who do you think is the team that is is lifting the, the very first MLS's back trophy when we're all said
3: and done? So there are teams that have completely kind of changed the way that I see them. One of them is Columbus. And it's not that they were bad at the beginning of the year, but... They have kind of they they have stamped their their, their mark here at the MLS's back tournament so much so that I would that I would see them when we talked about you know uh, a player like Darlington Nagby and how important he is and then you have Zellerayan and you have Jassy Zardes who just keeps evolving and getting better and better and better and you know more than anybody Keith that this is a guy who's taken a lot of crap over the years. Yeah. Uh, you know, some of it justified and some of it, uh, some of it un- uh, unfair, g- given when you look at the numbers and how well he has done and how his first touch has improved, his running is improved, his finishing is improved. You know, we want him to be ruthless. Uh, and I say we Americans uh, who are following the national team, because right now it's kind of slim pickings up there. You got Josie, you got Jossie. You, I mean, Josh Sargent really hasn't come along. So, there's an opportunity for somebody somebody up there and josie who's been around he's got that experience but if he can even get better and more ruthless in the way that he plays you know he can challenge he can challenge josie so so columbus right now i i last night on air i said i i, I picked columbus you can never rule out lafc for uh, for what they're doing we just talked about uh, uh about the sounders out there i i don't think that you're going to have this cinderella team that finds a way to win in this bubble i think that when it when all is said and done the people that that you would predict right now or that you would bet money on right now are going to be the ones that do it. And if I had to do it, uh, if I had to bet uh,
2: and tell you which one, it would be Columbus. Well, can't argue with that pick we've seen so far. Alexi, always a pleasure having you on. Thanks as always. You're welcome anytime and um, looking forward to see if your pick plays out. Thanks, Thanks, Alexi. Thanks. Thanks.
0: Neighbors. More than just people next door. Good ones are indispensable. They look out for us. Look after us. Have our back at a moment's notice. They're quick to lend a hand or a hammer. They are trusted allies when times get tough. For more than a 100 years, through prosperity and challenges, we've done our best to be that reliable next-door neighbor. Your neighbor. Wafed Bank.
2: Member FDIC. Your Seattle Sounders have booked their ticket to the round of 16 at the MLS Is Back tournament and now will face LAFC on Monday Make sure to stay up to date on all the latest scenarios in play for the rave green by visiting soundersfc.com and catch the match on FS1 950 KJR AM and LRA 1360 AM for the Spanish language broadcast Monday's radio broadcasts are presented by WAFED Bank awarded Best Bank by Money.com and proud to be the exclusive banking partner of Sounders FC. Primera Blue Cross is proud to be the presenting partner of the 2020 Sounders FC season, including the club's MLS Is Back tournament campaign. Primera Blue Cross, always in your corner. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining us today on this Winging It with Zach and Brad and Keith with no Brad. Um, Keith, Sounders... LAFC. It kind of looked for a while that we'd get Sounders versus Portland, um, a game that never happens in cup competitions, so it would have been great to see that. Um, But we're now getting Sounders LAFC, and I hate to do this, but my mind has to go back to what we saw at the end of last season, when Seattle went to Bank of California Stadium, and in some ways shocked MLS, not by winning, but by how they won. Does that performance, can you carry anything from that to this game, or is this a different LAFC team without Carlos Vela and are the dynamics too different with being in the bubble, being in a neutral ground? What's your take on the matchup and as it relates also to the previous game between these two? I
1: I would say not only can we take something from it, I think other teams have already taken something from it uh, so far in the performances that we've seen. Um, I know everyone will talk about LAFC and how good they are going forward, even without Vela, but you've seen, I think Houston in the first game counted them really well. We're three, one up. Uh, The Galaxy scored two goals against them. Portland scored two again. So they've conceded seven goals so far in this tournament in three matches. They've only won once. Um, So this is an LAFC team that are frightening going forward like they were last season. But if you can be compact defensively, like the Sounders did at Bank of California Stadium and counter with pace, this team is, I would argue, weaker defensively than they were last year. So, I would say that the blueprint is there for Smetzer. He he knows what the team is capable of. And I would imagine the players, having played against this group and done so well last year and created so many chances, will be feeling confident going in, given that there is no Carlos Vela. And even though they're still good going forward, they're not
2: as good going forward without Vela in the lineup. Um, agreed. I've watched them. And I remember the game in the playoffs last year against LAFC and it was so Vela-centric that it's almost the issue that great teams like you've seen Barcelona in the past or teams that are so focused on one player that the other really good players almost become passengers and you take Carlos Vela out of the equation and Rossi is on a different level right now I think Rodriguez is also coming to his own as well obviously BWP um, I mean he's always gonna you can put him anywhere he'll score goals so their attack scares me just for the fact that you can't just say stop Carlos Vela and you've done 80% of the job now it's no you stop Rossi you stop Rodriguez you stop B they're more diverse in that sense so we haven't faced an attack like them I think they scored 11 or 12 goals just in in this tournament alone they concede a lot but they score a lot too and it looks like they're a team that's happy to win 4-3 if they have to Um, what can we do to sound this defensively against such a dynamic attack especially with the injuries we have well,
1: we, we can't defend the way we did against Chicago. That's that's for certain. I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I think we started to see a little bit of, of what we should be trying to do against Vancouver, which is no pressure on the ball, drop in, connect. I think when the ball goes out wide, Rodriguez and Rossi are really good at coming back inside and, and making it difficult for the fullback. So for me, the help from that holding midfielder has to come quick. You have to double uh, often and and with with BWP, he's not a player that is going to get involved in the link up there. So for me, you really have to watch the runs from midfield of of a blessing, of a K. You have to match that energy in there, which I think Christian, you know it's important that he plays central because of that. but but I think if you stifle them there, laFC have a tendency to to overcommit in the attack, overcommit in wide areas. So once you win it back, you must force their wide players to get back in and defend. Uh, and if you do that, I think this is a, this is a winnable game. I, I don't hold the, the, the fear of LAFC that I did last year um, simply because I think they've lost a very good center back. They still don't know what their balance is there. And the midfield at Wester is so good on the ball, but he doesn't defend that space once they've lost possession in, in the attacking third. So the, the counter options are going to be there. So I, I definitely think sit a little bit deeper um, and, and look to counter. Jovan Jones, I think, would be a great player in a game like this, given what he what his attributes are. We'll miss Brad Smith because of how he did it well in those games, but I think Nuhu is capable of providing width and, you know, a penetrating option on that left as well. Um, I'm excited for it. I, I don't hold as much fear this year, funny enough, as as I did last year, and, and we got the result last season.
2: Yeah, I'm with you on that. When I was watching events unfold last night, I was just kind of following along, um, I definitely fancied the lafc game more than the portland game like, again derby games in a bubble you just you just don't know that anything happen. i think lafc is a more predictable matchup because they're not going to change bob bradley's going to yeah, come in there yeah. he's going to send seven eight players forward they're ripe for the taking on the counter obviously then jordan morris becomes key you mentioned um the fullbacks there knew who whoever's jones on the other side Kelvin lay they had no answer for Nico Lodero and Raul Udiaz, um in the playoff game last season and I think when you give that midfield whether it's Kay Blessing or Twister, someone like Nico someone they have to pay attention to I think you're going to be able to drag them out of all kinds of positions I'm going to go I think for uh, a game with goals uh, anywhere from a 3-2 to a 4-3 I think you'll see goals in this game I don't think both teams are at their best defensively but I think both teams have goals in them it'd be very difficult to blank LAFC it's very difficult to do that but I think they have a hard time blanking anyone as well. So I do think Seattle are the favorites. I think Seattle's the better team of the two, more balanced. I will say that. And as much as they scored maybe 11, 12 goals about Carlos Vela, they still would love to fly him in um, to play this game. I don't make them as good as Rossi and Rodriguez are. Carlos Vela is Carlos Vela. Where do you land on the prospects of a result for the Sounders? I mean, is that a game where if you were in Brian Smets's seat, where you would think, there's, there's definitely a result here for us. Do you play a bit more on the front foot than you did at, at, at the playoff game last year, or is the blueprint sit 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 counter counter counter? Yeah, for, for me,
1: it's you know don't don't if it's not broke, you know don't, don't try to fix it. It's if if we're gonna if we're gonna try you know be on the front foot. Actually, we saw Philadelphia do it early in the season as well before the pandemic hit. Uh, Philadelphia Union went and played on the front foot. I think that game ended three three as well. So I, I do think there is times once you once you counter. You can stay high and be aggressive uh, on that back four. But you know, once the ball is is, is you know recycled and, and you know you can drop off. You don't need to kill yourself trying to chase a game, particularly yeah. in that heat. Um, I think it would be really difficult to do that. So yeah, for me, the the, the game plan, if I'm Brian Smetzer, if I'm if I'm Jimmy Precki, you know, uh Gonzo, I'm sitting there and going, look. We've already seen them concede goals. We know if we sit, we can conserve energy. We can use our pace on the counter attack through Jordan. Hopefully, Joven as well. Um I, I think it's set up. And, and actually, going back defensively, I think I think Javier, um, I think Neymar. I think they're the kind of defenders that defend those situations well. I think we, we've struggled at times to, you know, get them games together to get an understanding, but. They're used to seeing that kind of style from the leagues they've come in from, with wide players coming inside, and they defend that quite well. So I'm I'm confident going into this game, as as confident as you could be against a a very, very good LAFC team.
2: Yeah, I absolutely agree with you there. I think that game is Monday night, 8 p.m. local time here, I believe, which would be... 11pm um, actually um, um, in Orlando well, I, I can't even imagine playing the game so late but it'll, yeah, it is it is what they have to do at this point Um, Keith before we go we had a couple of questions come in um, we talked to Alexi a little bit about this I mean we have to talk about this kid. I mean I know you're a big Liverpool fan and I know I'm, I'm surprised you actually made it to the podcast I thought you'd still be out um, <laughs> at, um, celebrating Liverpool's historic Premier League title win with a great game against Chelsea but Christian Pulisic came on at Anfield you don't see many players come on and change a game like that and it almost seemed like he played with a bit there was a bit of a bit of Clinton Dempsey in him in a sense where a bit of a chip on his shoulder, probably wasn't too happy with Frank Lampard saying, you know, I've been your best player since to restart and I'm on the bench for the second game in a row. And he came on, had an assist, he had a goal, it got the internet talking, it got the Twitterverse talking, it got US circle Twitter talking. And one of the questions that emerged was, you know, on a domestic level, hey in MLS was saying Jordan Morris on the left wing is fantastic. But then you have this guy who's on the verge of global superstardom, who also is best positioned. Maybe he's on the left as well. How does Greg solve that? Because I mean, they both have to play at this point. Um, and I'm not saying in any way here that Jordan is on Christian politics level. So nobody please tweet me if you're going to tweet and get angry at that tweet, Keith. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> how do you solve that? Because I don't want to go back to moving Jordan to the right and then. You does know, Christ, Christian go to the middle?? Where, I mean, it's a good problem to have, but they're similar in a lot of ways. How do you solve that problem with those two coexisting? I, I, I think you can. And I, I think, yeah, I think Jordan has done well
1: uh, on that left hand side. I think Christian can play either side. I think he can play down the middle. But for me, Christian is better coming from a wide position. Um but I, I think I think Christian can play on the right. Um, but if if Christian's saying, look, I want to be on that left-hand side, Jordan Jordan can can go on that right-hand side and be effective for for the U.S. too. They're, they're two very good players, uh, good. You know, the the idea for Greg is to to find the best players in attack and and get them all in the team. And um, maybe it's a little bit unfortunate that they're both playing at a high level in the same role. But, but ultimately I think you know Greg can find a way to get both of them and decide whether that be Christian Central or, or Jordan on the right. I don't see it being a concern. I, I think Jordan is smart enough and good enough now to, to be able to be as effective on that right as well and, and Christian's going to be effective anywhere. I think he's I, 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 give, I, I, I hear these uh, thoughts Steve from well Frank Lampard's done a great job and this and that the, the, the number one key to, to Christian Pulisic's success is Christian. Uh, His mentality, his mentality when he's been left out has been world class, and he he shouldn't have been left out the last two games. But what a way to respond! Come on, you know, unbelievable assist, super finish. I think even Klopp kind of gave him that little head nod of wow, (laughs) this this kid's arrived. So he's had a great season, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for the U.S. team with both of these guys in it moving
2: forward. Yeah, and before we go, I would be um, remiss not. To, to, to have you on here and not to ask, obviously, look, I grew up in England where Liverpool was always a big club, but I grew up in the era of Arsene Wenger and Sir Alex Ferguson. I was an Arsenal fan and it was Arsenal man you. Liverpool was kind of there in the background and you heard about the glory days and the history, but they weren't a real threat. And now what they've done this season, put together one of the best seasons of all time in the EPL, they hold the EPL title and their European champions, as a Liverpool fan, what does it mean? Can you put into words what it meant to watch that team lift that trophy? I know we have a lot of Liverpool fans that listen to this podcast as well, who support Sounders and Liverpool are the English team. Um, why, why is it so important that you know we put into context the thirty-year wait and seeing a local lad like John, Jordan Henderson? Um, um, lifting the trophy. What did it mean that moment when they finally got their hands on that Premier League title after so long, considering the size of the club and the history? As a fan, how'd you put that into words? It, it, it
1: meant everything. I mean, uh, you know, I, I I got emotional for sure when when we won it, but even more emotional seeing the, the title lifted at, at Anfield. Um Liverpool I, I think is a lot like Seattle. I've written about this before in terms of the connection with their fans, uh, the connection with the the, the neighbourhood, what it means. It's it's more than just a football team in that city. It's it's almost a religion. Um, so you know, for that club to have have suffered, have come close, which is almost worse, you know, four or five years ago, and and Liverpool were at the lowest point when when Klopp came in. I, I think the fans had given up. So for him to steadily build year after year after year and bring us to this point and then almost get there. And then the pandemic hits and yes, you're worried about everything in the world. Please don't think that I'm not, but there's a little selfish voice inside you going, it would happen this year when we're about to win the title. I, I know that sounds awful, but that's the truth. So for it to finally happen, to finally lift it and and, and watch it, it, it means everything. And Jordan Henderson, someone I-, I know quite well, and it's just an incredible, incredible person. So to see it be someone like him, Uh, lifted it, it meant even more. It it was an incredible day. Um, You said I went partying, I went running because you talked to me afterwards. It got me so motivated, I went out and worked out. Um, But an incredible day, and and it just feels so good. It's like a a weight has been lifted off my shoulders. Uh, 30 years of hurt is now gone, and I'm looking forward to the future because this is a team and a manager that can continue to compete, so I'm excited for it.
2: Awesome. Very well said. Well, Keith, been a pleasure having you on. Welcome back to host anytime Um, we just won't tell brad Um, but but. Monday, sounders lafc make sure um you tune in and follow the boys it promises to be a great game i mean two fantastic teams from a neutral perspective at the very least um there should be goals and it should be a lot of fun to watch and then we'll be back here next week um, hopefully continuing to um, talk about the team's progress in the bubble MLS is back tournament thanks to Keith Costigan for joining me thanks to Alexi Lales for joining me and thanks to all of you as always for tuning in and listening winging it with Zach and Brad and Keith on this occasion and we'll be back next week